0: Todd and Rob
1: in the afternoon, afternoon. Hey, afternoon
0: July. with Todd and Rob oh yeah welcome to the new media show thank you so much for spending time with us this afternoon Todd is out of town and I'm actually going to be uh, live hosting this show for probably the next four weeks so um, while Todd is off on his adventures but I appreciate you being here thank you so much I'm fresh back from Podfest, and I have a terrific guest with me I have mr. Tom Webster who's the partner at soundsprofitable.com and I'm honored to have him with me Tom thank you for joining me on the show
2: yeah thanks for asking me I don't know if you want me to play the part of Todd today or not I mean I think I could probably pull it off I could be Todd like
0: well you know it might be a good foil to the conversation since Todd and I have um, have Jested over this topic of um, consumption of audio and video podcasting and how they can kind of live in the same sphere and the same understanding, but I do think it's a it's a transition that we're going through around perception um, between audio and video and how they're they're companions to each other. But before we dive full into that, Tom, I wanted to share with everyone a little bit of information about Sounds Profitable. So if they haven't heard about the, your uh y- your project now so has it been what a couple of years now you've been working on sounds profitable and and how's that going here i'm going to pull pull the website up on the stage so those um, that are watching the show can uh, see what sounds profitable what the website looks like and and so tom tell us a little bit about sounds profitable too before we get into it and and how uh, people can participate with you. And I know you're doing a lot of podcasts and you're doing newsletters and you're doing a bunch of stuff, but I am I think our audience would be interested to learn more about you if they haven't heard about you.
2: Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm about to hit uh, two years now uh, as a partner at Sounds Profitable. And, you know, Brian and I really have the mission of growing the podcasting space um, however we can, right? I mean, there's mm-hmm. You know, you and I have had this conversation before. There, that there is really no devoted trade organization that serves the podcasting industry, and right. you know there are some uh, organizations that touch on it. But uh, you know, we're trying to fill that gap, as it were, by providing insights, providing advocacy, uh, networking opportunities. We currently have over one hundred and fifty partners that represent really the leading companies in the podcasting space, from publishers to ad tech to agencies to brands. And we talk to them uh, monthly, and we talk to them about what their obstacles are, what their challenges are, um, and we do our best to to help them solve those problems, all with the intent of growing the space. I mean, one of the things that I would like to do before I retire, uh, I would love to see the podcast industry be bigger than the broadcast radio industry. And I, I, don't, I don't think that's far <laughs> away, to be honest, and that's something that I'm, I'm really working towards to help creators get paid. Um, and I know I've spent a lot of time over the years talking to independent creators and talking to uh, to sort of big podcasting and, and straddle that line.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but ultimately, I've been working this whole time to try and create an economy.
0: Yeah, and I think that's important. And it's an interesting uh, topic, too, that maybe we didn't think about coming into this is is whether or not podcasting will ever hit um, the same monetary Level that uh, broadcast uh, radio has, and if if it will or if it uh, if that's its destiny, um, how long do you think it's going to take us to get there? Because we're currently what at two billion dollars of revenue, and broadcast radio is still at probably like thirteen to fourteen billion. So we got got a ways to go, don't we?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, you have to sort of look at it this way: the uh, the broadcast radio revenues are declining, right? And so. Uh, I would like to see audio do well. I would like to see audio revenues do well so that audio, uh, you know, continues to thrive, continues to be a leading Mm -hmm. medium for engagement, which we all believe in. So Mm -hmm. rather than have, you know, the revenues that may have previously been spent with radio get spent on, uh, CTV and search and things like that, I would like it to go to audio creators. So, you know, ultimately that means helping to build the on-demand audio space as an economy, you know, with everything from uh, measurement to operations. And and that's those are all the things that Brian and I are doing kind of largely behind the scenes.
0: So what do you think it's going to take for us to be able to get it back to, uh, to that kind of opportunity for the content community here in podcasting to be able to really, in some ways, essentially what we're proposing here is kind of putting broadcast radio out of business um, if it's on that scale. Or do you think that they can, we can double the size of audio um, and radio will still have a place or do, do you think that radio is going to reach a, you know, a minority place as opposed to podcasting in the long run?
2: I think radio still has a, a, a Mm -hmm. part to play. I, I, and I, I will always think that, especially at the local level. Um, You know, I think some markets may have too many radio stations and I think that will equalize over time, but I think there's always going to be a place for strong live and local and radio does that. Uh, really, really well, right? So that yeah. it's not so much about replacing it um, as it is really about, and and you know, it's sort of a false choice because some of the biggest companies in podcasting are radio broadcast companies. Right? Um, yeah. I mean, it's really ultimately, I don't care how you get your cans of Coke, uh, as long as we're, as long as we're shipping them and they're showing up in machines.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I I can see your point there. I know that there's some. Uh, podcasting companies that are trying to play in the local radio type market space like uh, citycast and and so some of those type of projects um, but i do think I do agree with you, Tom that I do think that the big broadcast r- or radio folks will just have you know two two arrows that they can they can go after the the radio side and the podcasting side and we 'll see that and that 's what we 've been seeing. The question gets back to. I guess, and this is what you're trying to solve is what's the economics of podcasting versus broadcast radio and, and how do we make that transition? Is it to be podcasting to become more like radio and how it's monetized or which I, I think one of the reasons podcasting exists is a reaction to over commercialization. If I think back to the early days of the medium. So how do you see us kind of navigating that, um, that difference in the, in the history and the culture and, and the transition that podcasting has brought to? Well,
2: yeah. I mean, it's a lot of inertia, Rob. I think um, there's still a lot of inertia on the, on the buyer side, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to buy radio. It's easy to go in to an agency and say, buy right. me the top five stations, 2554, mm-hmm. right? You're not going to get fired doing that. So you know we on the one hand, we need to make podcasting as easy to buy, um, and that doesn't mean replacing everything that everybody's doing with programmatic advertising. It just means options right yeah. um, and but also there's there's an education component to it too. I think podcasting I think a lot of questions get asked about podcasting, which are not the real issue. Uh, I think the real issue uh, continues to be educating people, educating brands and educating buyers about the uh, the the power of the space, mm-hmm. about the engagement levels, about the ability of this medium to move people to action uh, so that, you know, the reasons why people might come up with for not buying it, measurement, et cetera, become less important because frankly, podcasting's measurement uh, tools are vastly superior to what radio has access to.
0: Right? Yeah. I've always radio's, felt that too, Tom. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. I it's mean, like...
2: radio's measurement tools are terrible compared to, uh, <laughs> good right. Lord, could I do a whole show on that? Uh, yeah. So we have we have phenomenal metrics, we have phenomenal uh, attribution abilities, and, and you know, phenomenal targeting abilities that uh, yeah. the things like broadcast radio and TV just don't
0: have. Yeah, it's almost like this curse of expectations. You know, it's almost like well, I faced this early on with the radio show I did too. Is a lot of my early radio advertisers started to increasingly see my my radio show as kind of a digital property, right? And they started seeing my show as more like kind of like buying a sponsored link in Google or something like that. They wanted instant results from it. Right. It, it, it was like they didn't value the branding, which is somehow we've, we've transitioned to a more of a brand awareness of the opportunity of podcasting and being able to move um, the momentum of brands. Um, but there's not as much kind of direct um, attribution on brand campaigns. Right. And that's, that's a little bit of been a struggle, I think, for podcasting, too, because I do think it's a curse of expectations uh, of the ad buyers that's different than on radio. And what's your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, and that's also an issue of scale. Um, and it's, you know, yeah. it's sort of a scale. chicken and egg thing, right? I mean, the, right. The, the, the industry needs to be big enough to support uh, the, the, you know, buys that are large enough to have built in me- that we have those abilities. They just need to be built into campaigns. Which means large enough campaigns to justify those expenditures, right? I mean, almost any yeah. modern mass uh, mass media platform uh, has historically devoted, uh, you know, some single digit percentage of its entire revenues to measurement. Um, yeah. You know, you get that in television with Nielsen, you get that now in radio with Nielsen, formerly Arbitron. It's mm-hmm. just a it's a cost of doing business, but the scale of podcasting has not. Quite able to support that, and you know, yeah. and measuring podcasting in the exact same way as we measure uh, poorly <laughs> radio <laughs> yeah. um, is is also a challenge, right? It's it's a it's almost an intractable problem uh, to get the kind of data back on an individual podcast that a, a radio station in a market might get back. Yeah. But there's a lot of other things that that podcasting can provide that are, you know, I yeah. would say more useful.
0: So you think uh, that the that's going to push us I, I kind of wonder if the goals of monetization is going to push us into more proprietary distribution platforms, ones that are more like a YouTube is a good example, and this is probably a good lead into our our video discussion, but I do think that there's pressure coming to bear, and especially as we come out of this economic uh, crisis, there's such an emphasis now on being more efficient with the operations of podcasts and also really refining the the advertising models and, you know, this tension also that the industry has is that there isn't really any kind of a standard standards body board that is really trying to move podcast advertising forward. I know you guys are doing everything you can do to push that forward. I know that there's been a lot of discussion uh, around some sort of a standards body or some, some, you know, I don't even know if that's the real solution because there's like so many different factions in this medium that have a different way of going to market, and it's getting more complicated all the time. And and I just I personally want to be part of whatever solution that we can come to here. And I've been, you know, working with the podcast standards group to some degree, and and that is a kind of a loose fitting thing. And I I do wonder that maybe we're coming into a new phase. I mean, Apple announcing support for um, transcription. And embracing Podcasting 2.0, I mean, how do you see kind of even Podcasting 2.0 kind of fitting into this overall strategy, or is it real, do you think?
2: Oh, ah, man. I know, what a it's a lot. Works. Okay. It's a lot. Um, <laughs> it is a lot. And it was part of, like, the impetus behind the article that I wrote this week was actually not so much yeah. about video as right. it is about... Keeping up with the changes in the audience as much as we right. keep up with with changes in the tech and the the sort of fear of proprietary platforms and, and right. walled gardens and things like that that's how every medium operates right I can't watch Reacher on Netflix that's <laughs> right that's that's owned by Amazon Prime right I, right, you know, right. I, I mean that's just, that's just the way that media works is there are always going to be exclusives uh, and I, here's the here's the mistake I think that uh, podcasters make. Um, And I use this analogy uh, briefly in my, in my piece today, you know, there was a time in this country where you could walk into, uh, you know, a tower records or, or a Sam Goody and you could purchase a CD or a cassette or vinyl, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They were all, they were all for sale. Uh, And even still, if you buy music online, you can buy it either as a CD, generally in vinyl uh, and you can buy the digital music file. All of those are still being sold, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And it depends on what your what your preference is and, and what, you know, if I'm home and I really want to, you know, focus on music, I'm going to throw on vinyl. If I'm right. working, I'm going to throw on a stream.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: I think the mistake that uh, some of the, I'm going to call them regressive voices in podcasting make, is to assume that your podcast is the music. It's not. Your podcast is vinyl. And vinyl is always going to have a place, but the music is your show. And if your show Want you know if people want to watch your show? If people want to listen to your show? If people want your show on vinyl? If you're able to do those things, I don't really care uh, because all of them are going to increase the the chances that your show is going to be consumed and consumable if you're giving people the choice. Uh, and the last thing I, I want to just put out there about this is that we did the research on this, and the mistake is to think that the video audience is different from the audio audience. They're the same people choosing which to do depending on their environment and circumstances. So I'm not saying you have to put out video there. Don't do video if you don't want to do video, but, but it counts. It all counts uh, in the, in the, you know, the rubric of putting on a show to me, it all counts.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, and Eileen um, raises a good question too. You know, I think we did see Apple, you know, embrace the transcription tag, but I, I, and many in the industry are kind of like excited about this and thinking that this is a, you know, a crack of opportunity for the industry to be telling these big companies uh, what kind of, um, you know, namespace tags that they will embrace going forward. I do wonder if this is really kind of an anomaly uh, because of the ubiquity and the interest that transcripts have. Is it, is this going to translate into any other tags being embraced by, by any of these big platforms too? Um, I don't know. Do you you have a perspective on that, Tom?
2: Again, I I think that there's a lot of focusing on the tech Um, and, you know, uh, let's, let's take transcripts for a moment and, Transcripts yeah. are important for accessibility. I want to make that very, very clear. Oh yeah, there should be there, there should be transcripts, right? Yeah. Um, but transcripts are not some they're not some magic thing, right? I know it's it's easier for you to focus on getting a transcript for your show than it is making a better show for your audience. All right, right. And so yeah. a lot of people are making that choice. But again, you know, I've already mentioned Reacher. Uh, Reacher isn't worried about transcripts, right? Mister Beast on YouTube isn't sweating tags uh right they're making great shows that are focused on what they're getting back from their audience and so not to the uh, not to the exclusion of the innovations that are possible with podcast 2.0 and some of the additional tags that we could get in rsss it's a false choice it's just that we aren't spending enough time actually keeping up with the changes in the audience as much as we are the tech and that's what concerns me
0: right and that and actually takes us to a, another inflection point in the program around trying to talk about that a little bit. And and I think that the, there is a large misunderstanding. And like you told me at the beginning of this show, you're getting a little tired of fighting this battle of trying to overcome the industry's, I guess, desire to be primarily seen as an audio-only medium. I object to that just be, because of my, my history and what I saw in the early days of podcasting it was an audio and video medium and it's in, in my mind, you know, even this show has been around for 13 years and it's been an audio and video uh, program. And so I, and I do, you know, a couple of shows like this every week. So it's, I don't see where there's a conflict here, but I guess there's a lot of entrenched interests in holding on right to w- what we have. And I think there's a lot of fear about, the potential impact the, a proprietary platform like a YouTube could have to the open aspects of podcasting, and I think that's really—if you cut it to the chase—that's what they're fearful of.
2: That's you know I get that, um, but there's nothing exclusive about YouTube, right? You don't ha- you don't have to make an right. either-or or choice. You can you can produce content for the screen and or app and or yeah. player that is in front of people. And mm-hmm. and Rob, you just mentioned this, and you know this full well. Uh, because I was there at the beginning, right along with you, when we had Revision yep. 3, when we had, you know, uh, French Way TV, TV right. Beach Walks <laughs> with Roxanne, right? I, like all yeah. of those people, those are original podcasters, right? Those are some, you know, there's some Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, those are original podcasters, and they were video podcasters. And so it's always been a part of our DNA. I think that the issue is YouTube as much as anything. And I think there's some hatred of YouTube uh, yeah. more than there is concern about video um but i i will tell you that, that just as someone who has uh look this is my career i care about this stuff don't don't ever get mm-hmm. that twisted i've been working in audio my entire career um and what bums me out about this whole debate is that you know podcasting originally started as a merry band of pirates that were progressive that were trying to break out of the conservative mores of, of broadcast radio right and right. and right now so many of those voices are regressive and not progressive and the audience yeah. is always moving the audience is always shifting yesterday's hot platform is tomorrow's graveyard and vice versa um and that's what we have to keep up with so yes provide transcripts yes provide other tags that help people make money and and have transactions and and uh you know and and make the the experience uh better for for listeners but keep track of where the people are uh, right. and how their behaviors are changing. If you want to survive.
0: Yeah, that, that's true too. And that's saying all this about video is not to understate the complexity um, of actually playing that game. Um, no. And it's in being, being a video creator as well as an audio creator, I think is, is a challenge for many people. And I think that's also one of the, things going forward hopefully the the tools and the platforms and i've been working with some some you know like a StreamYard or whatever to help make these tools better for podcasters and to help them understand how to use these tools for video and audio and to make those processes easier and i think ai is going to have a role here so we may see this convergence and i know that's a it's a buzzword now that's happening increasingly but it just feels like um, that that's the direction in the research. Like you keep saying, Tom and other people are saying it too. It's not just you that um, the audience is moving towards being ambidextrous towards audio and video. They're, they're wanting to consume both when it's appropriate for their lifestyle. And and it makes total sense because that's exactly what I do, but I've been actually gravitating more towards the video here lately than I have towards the audio. So it's, it's an interesting change that's happening.
2: Yeah. yeah, and I want to say two things real quickly about that, Rob. Number one, um, very clear, very clear finding from our sound you can see research that mm-hmm. what, the, what the video podcast consumer perceives as a podcast as opposed to a video on YouTube right. is this right here, you and me, side by right. side on microphones. Correct. They Correct. know what a podcast is versus a, a, a Mr. Beast stunt. They, there's yeah, totally. there's no confusion about that. So to denigrate the video podcast consumer as somehow less than uh, is simply not correct, right? They absolutely they're smarter than we think. But the well, other we have thing to give is,
0: them credit for. Absolutely, they know what them doing. understanding what what's happening here,
2: right? And the second thing is, all right, and I, I even said this as a subhead in my article. It's fun not to count things. So let's not count yeah. these things. Let's not count the the video podcasts on YouTube, and let's not count. The viewers that are watching them, guess what happens to the podcast numbers overall? They aren't, they're not—they're not growing; they're shrinking yeah. because there is a cap on audio only. I think we can be audio first. I think we can continue, and we have to be an audio first medium. But uh, but the cap—there is a cap on audio only—and if you take away all of that audience that we have gained through platforms like YouTube. Then the space didn't grow over the past couple of years. You got to grapple with that.
0: Yeah, I think you have to throw into the mix too uh, Spotify's effort, and then also all of these um, social platforms that are increasingly, you know, like we're streaming to many of them right now. You know, X and Facebook and LinkedIn and all these platforms. They they all have a role in this, and and this content. Uh, what we're doing right now is a podcast, regardless of where it's seen, where it's heard, all that stuff. It is a podcast. I mean, this show started as a podcast. It's always been a podcast. So, you know, the argument that somehow it's not just doesn't make logical sense to me anymore. Um, No.
2: And if it, and look, by the way, Rob, if it's 3 PM Eastern on a Wednesday and I'm in front of my computer, I've got you guys on live on video, you know, I do. Yeah. But if it's like the weekend and I was busy on Wednesday then I'm listening on an app, I'm listening, yeah. right? Awesome. It's the screen that's in front of me. It's where I am. It's what I'm able to do. And if and th- and if you are not where I places. am, I right. forget about you. I don't make you a habit. So you're only I- giving yourself a better chance of success.
0: Yeah, I agree. Especially as we kind of and did you also map this to a generational change too? Is this really a a younger movement primarily over like the older generations doing this, or I mean, is that what you're saying, or are are both ends of the age spectrum doing this? Both ends of
2: the age spectrum are doing it. Um, And, and in fact, uh, the perception that people talking into microphones in studios is a podcast is Mm -hmm. equally, if not more strongly held on the older end. Um, And, you know, two things, because again, we are talking about YouTube mostly here. Number one, I've made this point before uh, many times in the past, YouTube is the best content search engine we have. But the other thing is you don't need an account to use YouTube. You don't need to sign up for anything. If I give you, uh, if I say, check out my show, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. someone says, "Oh, how do I find it? I don't know if they have a Spotify account. I don't know if they have a podcast app or if they know how to use it. But if I say, oh, just search sounds profitable on YouTube, everybody can do that. Right. And I I sound like I'm advocating for YouTube. I'm not. I'm just talking about not making bad binary choices false choices that we don't need to make and it's so easy especially for older americans to find mm. content on youtube they're used to it that why not why not be where they already are
0: yeah i mean and it's proved in the research too that youtube is what probably the, the second or the most popular place that people are finding content these days um, it's. A, I want to speak to this really yeah. quick because it's a
2: stat that often gets distorted, right? Yeah. If you ask people, where do you listen to podcasts? Mm-hmm. Uh, as in, where do you ever do it? Um, most the the number one or number two answer is going to be uh, YouTube, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Most the most popular podcasts available are also on YouTube. But that doesn't mean that YouTube is the number one consumption platform, right? It, it, right. I mean, more podcast content might flow through. Uh, Apple podcasts or might flow through Spotify. But in terms of the percentage of people, more people will say I have ever done this on YouTube than on any other platform.
0: I am also getting a little bit fatigued on this conversation to some degree too, but it's just being in the podcast industry. um, There's a lot of, I don't know. There's just a lot of um, desire to hold on to what's always been. And, and I guess my comment is that you know we're kind of going back to what it's always been not not moving away from what it's always been but i don't see a huge amount of growth in rss based distribution of video um though i'm you know we're doing that with this program and that gets about you know 20 to 30% of the consumption of this program so it's not a insignificant part of this you know, I think these proprietary platforms is is really the direction this is going. But I also don't see RSS getting uh, less important either at the same time, even though I think many feel like, it, you know, it's under threat somehow. But I think Apple just proved to us that RSS isn't going anywhere. They did. And, and you know,
2: I think here's a a, a double-edged sword, I think. Um, and that's when people say, well, I know my audience, my audience isn't doing that. I hear that. I hear that a lot. Right. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
2: and there's two things about that. Number one, that's probably true. Right. Uh, if you've been listening to the new media show for 15 years, you probably listen to it first on Apple podcasts and that's, that's, that's your ride or die. That's the audience that this program has shaped. Right. Um, but, but to sort of throw that into, uh, a reason why you don't progress that's to hold your audience to fix them in an amber and to, and to have a fixed I, mindset and not a growth mindset. Yeah. And there's, again, I don't think your, your current audience is going to be mad if you're available on video. Uh,
0: <laughs> no, I, I, don't I just, think it so doesn't either.
2: make any sense to me.
0: No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But I do, do think to be uh, practical about it, I think you do need to think a little differently about your show and how it's produced and you need to, evolve your your skills to be able to you know look look presentable on a video experience and that's where this next level that we're seeing increasingly happen uh, around education around how to do video well um, as well as get your audio out of that too so i think that's the phase that we're at right now is that there's there's people that are moving that direction and and the technology piece, I I'm really optimistic that I think in the next couple of years, AI is going to really help with a lot of this stuff. And then, you know, then you see what's happening with short form content, um, the vertical videos and how the technology is making that easier and easier to do as well, uh, that we may see. And then the, the, this announcement that app, um, that YouTube made that they're going to transcribe all of the English content into all the other languages in the world. Um, you're going to really open up your audience um, just in a way, but also um, all that international content is going to be available in the U S then, cause it's all going to be translated into English too. So you're going to have more competition, but yet more opportunity. Do you have a perspective on that and how that could impact the overall numbers and how people perceive you know podcasts that are done on youtube
2: yeah i mean it's not going to substitute for doing a native production in a native language and uh you know i actually have a little bit of a worry about that that if that if that's people's on-ramp to podcasting it may not be a very good one because i can't imagine those translated shows right now uh are going to be all that compelling right um you know i've i have uh, I continue to to um, investigate AI and have been very active in in, um, in, yeah. in you know, deeply into it. Um, and it's it's not there yet to produce an entertainment. I'm not saying that it that it won't be. Um, right. It can produce a translation, but you know, I don't know. I, I guess I could read my <laughs> memos online too, but that's not a very good podcast. So, yeah, yeah I've heard we'll, that we'll they
0: they are planning on making adjustments to your lips to align with the. The local language so it's it's going to get fairly granular and they're actually going to use your own voice so they are going to take some liberty with cloning your voice and have that voice be used in all these different languages so how about making
2: my voice come out of George Clooney uh, <laughs>
0: well that's, that's actually that's what I'm possible. going for you know that's like, actually that's possible now for. right 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 yeah so yeah so anyway that's kind of the conversation so I think I mean, is this development that we're seeing part of that thought that you have that we're, we're going to be able to reach parity with radio on the revenue side because of the video revenue? Do you think that there's going to be growth opportunity that comes from the video side here that really boosts and creates more opportunity on the monetization side?
2: I think the biggest untapped revenue source is in the long tail of podcasting. I mean, a lot of the top shows Long-tail, are sold right. out.
0: Long tail, right? Yeah, of the top yeah. Buying across more shows, right? That's yeah. What
2: yeah, and yeah. and the ad tech needs to catch up there a little bit and uh you know and and the sort of usability of that technology for a buyer right. needs to catch up a little bit, right? I mean, look, the, you know, this industry has been supported by wonderful brands uh many of whom uh insist on doing live host reads and and you know, direct response and things like that, yeah. right? And this industry uh, You know, where would we be without better help? Where would we be without Athletic Greens and even, you know, an, an Audible and, and some of the, the longtime advertisers that we've had? But that's one that's one choice. Right. We also need to find ways for uh, advertisers to uh, comfortably, reliably and easily say, you know what, I want to be on podcasts that talk about cars and I want to make sure that my ad doesn't run next to a Nazi Uh, And, uh, (laughs) and that, you know, the technology for that is there, but not quite at scale. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's the long tail part of it. We figure that out. And, gosh, I mean, that unlocks a ginormous market uh, to help. And again, if you don't want to run ads, don't run ads, I don't care. I'm about giving people the option to build an economy and build a career out of this.
0: Yeah, I think it's a... The development that um, I think TikTok is doing by creating a um, a product marketplace um, as a companion to their content catalog, and I guess Amazon's been doing this for a long time too. Um, I just wonder if that is part of this, um, where the advertisers will be more linked up with a platform, a consumption platform, as we look to the future, and creators will they'll be. That'll be like a mirroring of dynamic advertising somehow, and I just wonder if AI is going to have a role in in doing that as well as we look to the future. And have you thought about that possibility? Oh,
2: absolutely, and there does have to be a visual component to that, right? right? I mean, even you know, even things like smart speakers, the most usable ones are the ones that have screens because you right. want to be able to verify a purchase. You want to, yeah, that's the T-shirt I wanted. Right. I, I don't order a lot on my uh on mm-hmm. my Amazon Alexa device here but like in terms of shopping, unless it's just, you know, to refill or resubscribe to something I've already bought. Um but if you have the ability, uh if the if the independent podcaster has the ability to pull in an offer from a you know, a Shopify store, pull in the art from it and talk about it while they're doing it in a way that doesn't require them to do any work other than talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um then that's going to increase conversion. That's going to increase the sales and that's going to help everybody. That's going to help the, that's going to help the podcaster most of all. Um, and that's the stuff that I think AI can help unlock, not content stuff as much as, as enabling commerce.
0: That seems like the missing piece. Cause we're, we're all kind of struggling to do these brand deals and to do these, um, these post reads and stuff like that, which are very labor intensive, very costly to the industry. And if technology is going to be able to and this kind of maybe dovetails to what we're seeing happen with the with the translation stuff, of generating taking original content and then generating derivative content from that. That is, I guess, at the end of the day, is it is is it going to be trustworthy? Is it going to have enough quality to it and, and come across as genuine to the content creator? Um, AI has proven to be a little bit kind of in its image generation and its audio generation to be not as trust building, right. In it's presentation and how it's, you know, how it sounds, hmm. but, but I, I do wonder if that's going to improve.
2: Oh, it, it's absolutely going to improve. And again, if if you're just talking about sort of automatically assembling approved assets that already exist, correct. That's, that's really possible now. You know, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to fear, you know, uh, putting together images of twelve-fingered people <laughs> using a product, right? uh, <laughs> which right.
0: has been like, a problem with AI for a while. Which, now. yeah, like, like
2: that—that—that—that's yeah. not necessarily the problem. Uh, but again, finding ways to just enable commerce, and you know, f- rather than have to worry about complicated attribution, if if you can just, you know, what I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go ahead and order this through the podcast that like that would be cool to do that requires trust. As you say, that requires platforms that people have tested and are aware of and, and you know, names that they, uh, that they trust with their credit cards and things like that. Uh, And yeah, it it probably requires a visual component, which is again, why I I hate to see podcasters close themselves off from, from video because of what it could do for them just in terms of uh, what they could do for their sponsors. I mean, ultimately you have to want, if you are, taking sponsors and you are running ads, you have to want to do a good job for them. You have to want to be able to put as much effort into those reads and into that advocacy as you do your own content in your own show, not to do so. Number one hurts your own pocketbook, but also it kind of hurts the medium. So, uh, because we have, I think the best engagement and the best conversion.
0: Yeah. So I, I don't necessarily think that these endorsement, um, the endorsement model is going to go away. I, I'm hoping that the technology will evolve to make the endorsement models more efficient for everyone involved. And then, and that will trigger the availability of buying much wider campaigns across more shows. Um, I know, you know, Todd, Todd Cochran has been saying for a long time, you know, cause in the early days of podcasting, you know, we were selling and Todd specifically was selling across like, 200 300 shows on one campaign now granted programmatic can do that today but i'm talking about mostly host endorse and and i think the cpm models on on that are much higher i just wonder where that's going to go are we going to be able to scale and this is really a buyer problem isn't it tom
2: well, it's it it's it's not the problem doesn't lie in any one camp. It's across the board and, and across you know, the board, it's confidence. yeah, Yeah. And one thing yeah. I would say is that, you know, I think if people knew uh that their favorite podcaster was just mailing it in, that the show was voiced by an AI, right? Right. I I think they would reject that show. But if they uh even if they knew that AI was being used to help with uh with ads, with sponsorship, right? Mm-hmm. And that Uh, And that it was an, you know, an AI model of that host, uh, you know, reading an ad in a way that refreshed the creative every show, because, man, I hear the same ad all the time for months and and months and months. That's the problem. It's a creative problem. And if that's what doesn't scale. So, uh, you know, I don't want to hear that my favorite podcaster's mailing it in with AI, but if the ads are, uh, you know, if the ads are hard to tell, right? If it sounds like if it sounds like my favorite creator and right. it's continuing, I would rather hear a competent AI give me a different read of an ad for a product than hear the same freaking ad every single week cuz that doesn't help anybody.
0: Right. Yeah, I agree. If it can um and this might still put a burden on the podcaster to still voice a a read and then the AI takes it from there. Right. And maybe creates different derivatives of that read, um, or, or just uses the, the audio as a model for creating other, other versions of the read. I don't know. I mean, I think that the technology needs to get better. I'm not sure we're there yet. Um, I'm sure it will get better. And, and it, it, it probably will get to a point where we really can't tell. Um, that's kind of what I'm, thinking is probably going to happen on the on the visual side and the audio side, but it may I'll take it, a couple of years
2: you know I'll give a really good example of how this isn't a one sided how this is a gray issue and not a black and white issue and i you know right. I've worked in the audio industry for a very long time as you know both I've yeah. worked in radio and in audiobooks as well yep and I've heard technologies that are not widely marketed uh, mm-hmm. in uh, that enable the uh, the AI reading of things like audiobooks right uh there's mm-hmm. actually incredible lifelike technology it really sounds like a real person and if you are uh you know trying to make it as an audiobook narrator that's bad news for you right that because that's you know your your bent is going to be that that's taking your job but actually it's not taking the job of really good narrators what it's doing is enabling the narration of books that normally it would not be financially feasible to do audio versions of if you look mm-hmm. at it that way it's not black and white it's gray um, and I, and all of this stuff is gray.
0: Well, and I think it un, unlocks the uh, opportunity um, in a, in a way. And that's really, I think what this AI stuff's going to do is it's going to unlock areas of this medium um, that will create new opportunities uh, because it wasn't economically you know viable to do otherwise uh, prior. So, you know, I think that's, that's part of it too and in buying across larger numbers of shows is a metrics issue too i mean it's it's do the buyers trust the metrics um you know I know brands' safety and brand suitability is you know it's here to stay it's not going anywhere i don't always like it uh I don't like it from a content moderation perspective, but I also am practical um around my view of it too that brands are increasingly and have been you know, sensitive to content that they they feel comfortable to be associated with. But I also know that there's research that comes out and says that it really doesn't matter when it comes to ROI that much. Um, so how do you see that playing out o- over time, the whole brand safety piece?
2: Well, we've tried to, you know, we've put out some research on this. We're going to continue to revisit that uh, yeah. as as we go forward, because I think yeah. people immediately leap to the edge case, right? They say, "Well, I don't, you know, my podcast, you know, my message. I don't want people selling my mattress to Nazis." Well, right. I will tell you this: the mattress <laughs> people will sell their mattresses to Nazis.
0: Right? It's all about ROI right. to them, right?
2: That, so, that's, that's exactly yeah. right. Um, yeah. But you know, this stuff happens in every medium. It happens, and it happens on YouTube. That someone finds out about it and they pull the spot. Right? Like, I don't see why podcasting necessarily should be any different to that. Uh, but people yeah. just immediately jump to the to the edge case of that without actually looking at how uh, wonderful our targeting capabilities are which again are superior to things like radio and TV um, yep. so that the upside is far greater than the downside so more more education
1: there
0: yeah I think um, the opportunity there is more around context right so the context of the content can either be looked at from a, a filtering perspective from the standpoint of you know content, filtering or moderation but it can also be looked at as a as a targeting vehicle for brands that want to associate with certain you know uh, topics that align with interest by their customer base i think it's maybe not the right term to use brand safety i think the term that we should use is brand brand alignment um that's kind of my my I'm starting to feel a little bit more strongly about that because brand safety and brand suitability implies some sort of content moderation or that is putting the podcaster in a position. And I saw this segment that Conan O'Brien did here. you recently talking about, you know, content safety and moderation topics and his whole kind of podcast crew were concerned that, uh, you know, Conan was going to have to change his content in order to align with the the values of the advertiser, and he was very uncomfortable doing that because it cuts into his ability to be a comedian and make fun of things. You know, that's that's a fine line to walk. I think
2: it is, and and this may be something, uh, and and is something where AI is helping, and AI is going to continue to help in. And I think the best example of this, Rob, is you know a lot of uh, I think rudimentary. Brand suitability efforts involve lists of keywords. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, I don't want to be mentioned where they talk about guns. I don't want to be mentioned where they talk about war. Well, the net impact of that is potentially defunding the news. And we're seeing that with journalism just failing all over the place in terms of, of financial support. Right. Well, we don't want to defund the news. And I think if somebody's watching a a news show or listening to a news podcast, they're not going to take it against the brand because they heard a story about guns. So that's something where AI can help. And I have got to. I've got to. Hang on. I've got to give something to my dog. Or this is just all going to explode. <laughs> it's going to
0: bite you. Huh? It's going <laughs> to
2: bite me. So I'll be. I'll be back in two seconds. Really. So okay. Talk amongst yourselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to change the subject just briefly and make a make a mention uh, that this past week uh, we saw the podcast Hall of Fame that happened down at Podfest down in uh, Orlando. And so we had eight inductees into the podcast hall of fame. We we were lucky enough to have uh, Dr. Drew be our master of ceremonies. And so uh, that video is going to be coming out here very soon that you'll be able to watch the full ceremony. It should be out any day. Now there's clips that have been put out online. um, And I was going to play, play maybe a couple for you here. So you could kind of get a, A flavor for Doctor Drew up on stage, so let me do that here and let me play this for you.
1: Congratulations to not just the inductees, but everyone that has been around this uh, event. It's just so extraordinarily positive. Um, I, I just am just really so thoroughly impressed with the podcast community, and as someone that kind of. Moves around in different areas of media, I gotta say, this is uh, by far my favorite. So thank you for being what you are. Uh, And uh, isn't isn't it great having the freedom to go directly to your audience? I I talked about it this morning. To me, that was such an astonishing reality. So let's get to it. Uh, Again, this is the 2024 Podcast Hall of Fame induction ceremony, uh, and tonight marks the sixth induction ceremony. And, of course, people like my longtime friend uh, Adam Carolla will be inducted. Uh, Jesse Thorne of NPR, the Bullseye, and Aaron Mankey, Lore Podcast TV series also. Each have contributed quite a bit and influenced the podcast world. And uh, the reason I was brought in was uh, I was told that Adam was getting an award and wouldn't I want to present it to him. Adam's not here, you'll notice. (laughs) Sort of getting used to that with Adam. I don't know, Susan. You ever get used to that? So she, we're never doing anything with him again. Well, here we are. But I'm glad we are here, nevertheless. And I want to thank the sponsors of the event: Libsyn, Hall of Fame Induction Committee, Podfest Expo, and Women's Meditation Network. And of course, it's a a privilege. Uh, we'll have the privilege of hearing from the Hall of Fame inductees.
0: So, what do you think, Tom? I mean, about the podcast Hall of Fame? Just your gut gut reaction. Do you think it's an important thing for us to to continue? I know that the Hall of Fame has been around since 2015. I've been working on it, and, and it's a all-volunteer effort to try and keep that alive. It used to be part of podcast movement, uh, but this past year, we moved it to PodFest um, and hoping to keep this keep this alive. And do you have a perspective on the Hall of Fame, Tom? I do. Um, I, <laughs> I figure you uh, might. <laughs>
2: I will say this. I was very pleased to see Lori Sims make it. Um, yeah. No, I I was excited about that. Yeah. I yeah. Uh, I was very excited to see Lori Sims make it, which, who is not a name that a lot of podcasters know. Uh,
0: right.
2: but, but I think, you know, the people that have been working behind the scenes to, to make the industry, uh, you know, viable for people um, are every bit as important as the people that have been out, you know, selling podcasting courses and things like that. Right. Or, or, or having a big podcast. I mean, all of those things have contributed to making this industry, uh, what it is. I think my, my, I guess, concern with the hall of fame as it is, is that it feels a little black boxy to me. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and not particularly diverse. And, uh, that's, those are some of my concerns with it. And I know that, you know, anytime you have a I've done awards in the past. I've done judging in the past, and anytime you do that, you open yourself up to criticism. I'm very sensitive to that. It's a, it's a very difficult thing, right? I'm on the show committee for the Ambies, um, and you know, you get the, you have the the, the same sorts of issues and stuff like that.
0: Um, yeah, I was in the, I, I was the first chairperson of the yeah. Podcast Academy in the Ambies, so I'm I, I'm totally aware of what you're what you're saying, right?
2: Yeah, uh, and I, I think um, the. It, You know, I'm very sensitive to structural bias. Um, And right now, uh, you know, what the, you know, the voting of the Hall of Fame and who's actually making the nominations and actually making the votes appears to me to be previous winners, I believe. Yeah.
0: No, that's, that's exactly what it is right now.
2: Yeah. Right. Which makes it, um, makes it kind of difficult to change. Uh, a little bit uh, when when that's sort of the perspective of it. Right. Um, and so I hope that the the Hall of Fame uh, continues to to try to bring in voices that aren't just previous winners uh, that bring in some other perspectives, uh, because otherwise you're going to get, I think, a very one sided view of what's been important to the industry. I do think that it's important to honor uh, early pioneers. I was you know, I was mm-hmm. sad that the years that, that it was skipped. Uh, yeah. I would you know, I would love to see. I would love to see a black tie gala and a you know just a, a wonderful uh, night to to honor everybody and and I, you know there are all kinds of things I would love to see it grow into. I do think it's valuable and important to honor the people that came before. Um, I I think it's also important though to open that up beyond just past winners because it's you know you know a handful of people in your life right if you if you start to like list all of the people that you know that you could reach out to or even that uh that the the podcasts that you've listened to that's your universe mm-hmm. and and if that's your universe those are going to be the easiest names to come up with and then you start to struggle with other names just because it's not your experience um and that injects a kind of institutional bias into the organization that i think will not help the hall of fame going forward. So that would be my encouragement uh, as I know you're very much involved with it uh, to be open and active about recruiting other perspectives.
0: I guess I, I definitely agree with the premise of what you're saying. I think we have to also look at um, I think that the, the, the induction committee, which is the past winners um, have deep knowledge of the medium and and also have a, have a strong historical view of the medium as well. And our, if you look at the criteria for inclusion in it, uh, it's very clear and it has nothing to do with um, maybe some of the issues that you're referring to. It's more about impact, their performance, what they have brought to the medium, being people that have um, helped the medium develop and grow. Um, And that's, you know, there's two kind of sections. There are kind of creators, and then there are people that we're considering that are kind of behind the scenes. And I think uh, Lori Sims is a, is a very good example. So if you go back and you look at all the past inductees and look at that list, there is a lot of diversity there actually. So it's, It can always be more, I, I, I suppose. Um, but if you focus on what the criteria of being included is, um, it's, it's very much focused on impact, uh, performance and, um, just being a supporter of the community itself and and to some degree it's around success, but but I wouldn't say that that's the primary And, and case in point is, Doug Kay and I think we both know who Doug Kay is and his early impact on the growth of this medium. He doesn't currently have a, uh, you know, a, and he never really had a big show. So it's not about popularity or anything like that. It's really about the technical impact, the performance and who, who got helped in this medium as part of what they did. Yeah. I think if you look at the actual winners, it's, it's re- representative of significant impact and that's, that's what we're hoping to do. I can play a little video. I, actually, I explained this at the beginning of the Hall of Fame, and I can I can play that right now. The big picture of what this event, the Hall of Fame, represents to the podcasting community, and, and I think one of the things that the community has expressed to me over the years is is just how we, as an industry, value the contributions of people that have started this medium and really built it and really inspired so many others to create podcasts and to build successful shows. And that's really what the Hall of Fame is about, is to recognizing those individuals that have contributed uh, significantly. We've we've inducted about, I believe, 41 inductees so far? Yeah, at the end of this event, yes. Yep. Okay. And so that is, you know, we've got a long way to go. There's a lot more inductees. So I don't know if you want to talk about, Rob, the the process that we go through to select the, the, process, the big picture of okay. this event. The so let's hop out of this.
2: Back well, I, yeah, I mean, I, the thing that I would say, Rob, and it's not um, – it's not to say that your selections previously have been not good selections, because they have been mm-hmm. good selections. I think largely they've been good selections. I, you know, I may quibble with one or two, but um, it's it, you know,
0: no, everybody's going to quibble with a few, right? Everyone's
2: <laughs> going to quibble with a few, but I, but I, but I, but I'm more thinking about the acceptance of this as an institution, and if we are going to be accepting of this as an institution, and the voting is always done by past members then it it kind of becomes like your Supreme Court justices, right
0: well that who it, it's what, Rob
2: Walsh voting for life, it's Rob Greenley voting for life, it's Todd Cochran voting for life, and that doesn't feel like something that other people can touch and feel like I had a, an involvement with, I had a say in and that's wh- that's a perception thing.
0: so how do you see us solving that, changing that uh having an open board um, open board, having... but there has to be some criteria for in, for being on the board, right? Of course, yeah, of course, okay. but but I what but would that essentially criteria yeah. be do you think?
2: Well, I think people could vote on it just like they do with uh, the board of governors for the podcast academy, right? And and it may very well end up being that that board consists entirely of uh, previous winners, right? It's just not determined by fiat, and that's the f- that's the perception from as an outsider that mm-hmm. it's determined by fiat. Uh, the judges are elected for life, um, and, and that it's not something I can really participate in, and that's hard, I think, for people to embrace and engage with when they don't feel like uh, that 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 there's anything open to them at all, even if it's you know an at large voter, or an at large board member, or something like that. Um, and that, and again, that's not uh, that's not to challenge the previous uh, winners and, and nominees at, at all, or even the job that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm more talking about challenges to institutional and structural bias, when you have a closed committee of previous winners elected essentially for life in the way that it is right now, doesn't feel approachable, doesn't feel malleable, doesn't feel embraceable by people who maybe started in podcasting eight years ago. Not that those people would necessarily be involved or that those people would be elected to to anything, but but to know that they could be, I think, makes the institution a, a little bit more acceptable. Take it for what it's worth.
0: Yeah, I think if you look at the criteria for inclusion in the Podcast Hall of Fame, it's actually on the website, uh, Mm -hmm. and it kind of runs through key principles. And it's, you know, the duration of involvement in the medium is is not a – there isn't a hard and fast number to that. Um, So it's – but in a – in a practical sense tom if you're talking about you know inducting people in that have been in the medium for a year or something like that or 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 some kind of timetable like that that may not be something that you know aligns to the priorities of of who's had significant impact on the medium i guess it's possible that someone can have a massive impact on the podcasting medium in a year i suppose that's possible i think it's kind of a rare thing but also on the voting side um how big do you think that the voting committee needs to be and who, who do you think needs to comprise that committee?
2: I don't think it needs to be particularly big, but it needs to change. Change. Right? For, yeah. I mean, it, I, again, what I'm talking about is the is the perception that it's a handful of people elected for life making this determination every year. Right. Do um, so you and, think
0: that those people should not be included in the decision-making process uh, past a certain point in time?
2: Uh, if they're elected to be so, that's fine. Not by fiat. What I'm saying is that it's a, it's a self-perpetuating body that's created, right? You've all uh, sort of self-elected by fiat for life, um, and th- this sounds a lot more negative than I mean it to be, but I'm really just talking about how it's perceived by the outside world that there's no um, uh, there's no turnover, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and that I think you know the the getting. New blood, getting new voices, different voices, still experienced voices—not um, necessarily hall of famers, but people that I think the maybe the industry recognizes and votes for. Uh, okay. Again, would would improve the perception that okay. it's not just uh, you know an old boys okay. club. Um, and that—that's—that's right. that's my fear for it. I'm not suggesting that okay. that's where it is right now, because there's so many deserving people and a backlog from the years. Yeah, uh, there where, is where there's, massive. Yeah, yeah you're not—you're not, you're not going to run out of good choices for a while. So no. that's not what I'm concerned about. But—but um, but again, I think I'm concerned about a perception that it's uh, a, a closed, select group of people elected for life, always making the choices, and that's not how the you know Academy of Motion Picture uh, w- works. That's not how, uh, yeah,
0: but it's not an awards program really. It's, it's a lifetime achievement award of mm-hmm. sorts. And those are oftentimes not picked on a public basis either.
2: Well, I'll so, give you a good example here and, and, uh, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but you know, the, it's okay. The... I
0: I just want to know what you think as far as the, you know, if, you know, an idea, I'm not a- asking you to solve yep. uh, the dilemma, but I'm, I'm trying to get, get a sense so I can lead this committee going yes. forward a, to that's say that's great way to
2: that's a great way to put it. Right. 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 To so, say,
0: you know, maybe we, we we need to expand it beyond the forty one people, because only probably only two thirds of the forty one actually participated in the voting last time. So it, it, it was a pretty small group of people that made that those decisions. But those people are very knowledgeable about the medium too. But yeah. but um but it may um, makes sense to add, like maybe expand that committee to people that are not podcast Hall of Famers. Um, you know, like adding like maybe ten more people or twenty more people that are outside of the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, induction group. Um, to get a broader, you know, voting per- perception on that. Right. Um, might be an. Yeah, interesting. That's idea. all
2: I'm suggesting. That's all I'm okay. suggesting because it, okay. it, because look at it this way. I'll give you an example, and I'm not going to put you uh-huh. on the spot about this no, person, okay. right? But uh, <laughs> let's say that uh, Sarah Koenig, right from yeah. uh, right uh, from Serial, right, is that you know is she a Hall of Famer or not a Hall of Famer? Um, and maybe like right now, the the present committee that comprises the Podcast Hall of Fame of past winners may not believe she is may not believe the body of work is there may have been important to the industry but the body of work isn't there if if sarah never does anything else in podcasting and the committee never changes does that opinion ever change
0: yeah tom i think that example probably wasn't the best one because she was invited and she declined so um that's, that's another factor in mm. this too, is each individual nominee has a choice yeah, uh, of whether or not, and there's been three people that have turned down induction into the podcast hall of fame. So just, just because someone isn't there, that doesn't mean that they weren't asked. Mm. So it's, it, you know, now sometimes, you know, I don't think I've disclosed that ever in the past. No,
2: but, it's news to me. So right. like breaking news. So, new so show.
0: it's, yeah I, I mean it's just one one of those things that um that that happens you know i've I've been in the middle of um of all those and some people just don't want that kind of recognition there's there's been a a couple of them over the last couple of years that have have declined and that's okay they they have every right to decline um so you know if they don't have if they don't align with the values of being in the hall of fame uh which is kind of what's happened um and it's okay. I mean, there's plenty of others, like like you say, that are deserving to be in in this group as well. Mm-hmm. But I do tend to, I, I think I can see your point is good that, you know, expanding that committee a little bit. It, I guess my question gets back is what's the criteria for who's included in that committee, I guess, would be, I guess, what we have to wrestle with. Tough question. Yeah, it um, is a tough, tough question. <laughs> it's a
2: tough question, but you know what? It, it's uh, I'm all about doing the hard work, right? Making the hard choices, doing the hard work, uh, so that we are more bulletproof and more resilient as an industry. Um, and yeah. I I do think that there is a place for people are always gonna turnover have, in the in the voting place. committee,
0: right? People are always going to have a place to criticize, uh, yep. and they will. <laughs> so. And i I definitely learned that in in many aspects of it but but yeah I'll, I'll take your 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 comments and your contributions and take it back to the group and and see if we can come up with a better strategy going forward I do want the Hall of Fame to become more accepted and it, it, including the broader industry it it does appear to be fairly heavyweight towards uh, Lipson right now and but that that is a a little bit of a challenge that existed even for the Podcast Academy, too, is that it it takes resources to put these events on, right? And so this is also what happened to the Ambis too. I mean, larger mm-hmm. companies came in and sponsored those events, made them happen. They're very expensive to put on, very, very challenging to put on. And it takes a lot of money to put those things on. And oftentimes the larger companies are the ones that you have to work with that have the resources to be able to support something like this. And so we've been operating the hall of fame on a, on kind of like a, to some degree, a shoestring, you know, budget and Lipson was willing to step up and, and pay for the cost to actually pull it off. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's the other reality of doing these type of events, is and and that also puts us in a situation where we face criticism, um, because maybe you know we're we're aligning ourselves with big companies, you know, and not.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I I I think uh, I I think Libsyn has done a tremendous job supporting the industry, and I you know you know there are, are there a bunch of Libsyn people in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, they they you know were. I think Hall of Famers in some cases before they even joined Libsyn,
0: right?
2: Uh, right? right. I mean, and and not all well, of them are, are I mean, at Libsyn, and you're one, one of them, right? You're right. one of them, right? right. Uh, but I mean, I have I have no quarrel with, uh, again, with people that have been elected to the Hall of Fame. I really don't. Like, there's so many. Des- there's a backlog of really deserving people, and the contributions mm-hmm. of of you and uh, and Rob Walsh and Dave. Jack- I mean, Dave Jackson's helped so many. Oh, yeah. um, yeah. And Elsie and, you know, I have I, zero issue. And, and, you know, and again, I think Lori Sims is very, very deserving. we oh, yeah. people need to know about her contribution to this industry. Yeah. So that, yeah, and from was... that perspective, the hall of fame is crucial.
0: Okay. Awesome. All right, Tom. There you well, go. I think your dogs are probably calling on you.
2: They are. <laughs> they are, very, they are stridently demanding my attention. So I'm going to go walk them.
0: Yeah. All right. That sounds great. Well, thank you, Tom. I, I appreciate all your time today and, and sharing your thoughts on, I I think two pretty significant um, issues or topics in the medium today. And I, I I always, I I respect your thoughts and, and we'll see what we can do on, at least on the hall of fame side. But the, the other topics, it's like, those are, those are topics for the industry to, to wrestle. And I know that you're trying to do that with the sounds profitables um, kind of Platform that you're working on right now. So, how can someone uh, engage with Sounds Profitable, uh, learn from you, um, all those kinds of things? You do podcasts and newsletters. So, how would a person mm-hmm. sign up for that?
2: Uh, just go to soundsprofitable.com. We'd love for people to sign up for the newsletter, it's the sort of entry point into everything we do. Um, uh, you know, I I uh, write a, a weekly article, we also have a daily uh, podcast called The Download. Which is really focused on the top three to five stories in the, on the business side of podcasting. So not so mm-hmm. much, you know, announcements from, from uh, companies and things like that, but, you know, things that affect kind of the broader advertising space that touch on it, on everything. So, but it, it'll, it'll be right in front of you. We would love for you to subscribe at com, Um, and, uh, and that's really it. You know, all of our resources are, uh, available. Not only for free, but also without any kind of other registration, so you're welcome to download our research. We don't ask for email addresses, but we'd love to have it uh at least to get our newsletter, which i I hope you'll find uh useful
0: yeah, so we're in, um, yeah you you guys are uh, aligning with various events out there too and 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 putting on kind of training conferences and stuff what's the next one coming up for you and And are you guys looking for people to get involved in, in sounds profitable from the industry and, and what's the process for doing that? Sure. Um,
2: Well, as I mentioned, I think at the beginning we have uh, over 150 partner companies uh, who are supporting our, our efforts. Um, The next major thing that we're doing is a full official day at South by Southwest. It's the first podcasting day that they have ever done. It's uh, it is an official South by event. It's uh, even though we're helping to bring it on, it's, Uh, It's part of the the normal kind of South by scheduling. If you have a badge, you can get in and it's a full Mm -hmm. day of uh, of panels and sessions, uh, a new research study that I'll be promoting and uh, there'll be uh, we're putting out some press on that, I think, early next week that is going to reveal all of the people that are going to be speaking. They're going to be uh, celebrities both from the industry side and also on the talent side. It's going to be, I think, a fantastic day and not done something like that at South by. And that's, again, part of our mission to. To grow the industry, to make it more visible outside of the the bubble that we're all in, so we're hoping to reach other agencies and buyers and brands uh, at South by, and then of course we'll be back at uh, Podcast Movement Evolutions. I believe I'm giving a keynote, um, and uh, and we'll have a our partner lounge there available as well, and uh, you'll you'll see me in the halls.
0: <laughs> well, Tom, congratulations on building you know s- s- such an impactful organization that has has the support of so many you know, big, big partners in the podcasting space. I mean, I think it's, it's amazing what you've been able to do in a very short period of time. So thank
2: you. Yeah. That's my partner, Brian, who is just a a force of nature. Uh, He's, he's really phenomenal. So, uh, but thank you. And uh, you know, always a fan of the show, Rob, thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for for joining me, Uh, Tom. It was great to have you um, back on with me again. I know you've been on this show many times over the years. (laughs) So all right. Well, thank you everybody for watching the show today and I'll be back with another episode of the New Media Show next week. Todd is going to be gone for pretty much the whole month of February. So guess who's in charge of the New Media Show for the whole month of February. So so anyway, go, go check out newmediashow.com and we'd love to have you as part part of the show and um if you want to reach out to me i'm available um right here on this email address rob.greenlee at gmail.com i also on on x at rob greenlee as well and this show thank you so much and tom thank you and thank you for being here with me today so see you next week thanks bye-bye